0: Hello, Bread of Life Church. It's an honor to be with you, uh, even virtually here. It's a little bit intimidating uh, to be speaking to a church that I know that uh, Ryan O'Dowd speaks to regularly and and pastors. Uh, He's a great scholar and a thinker and a pastor, and so it's an honor uh, to be here with you, uh, knowing that he's listening in as well. I have my notes over to the side here, so uh, please don't get nervous. I'm not being held hostage and being forced to preach. I'm just going to have to look over every once in a while uh, to see my notes rather than looking down. Uh, And believe it or not, this is the best room in my house I could find uh, that was quiet without four teenagers in it. Today I want to talk about Pentecost, of course, but I want to talk about it uh, from the angle of Pentecost and how Pentecost fits into a pattern. Uh, And specifically, we can think about this being a tale of two cities. So when we see Pentecost in Jerusalem, I think we have to understand that the author of the book of Acts, who we take to be Luke, actually has another city and uh, a whole pattern of events, excuse me, uh, which is this other city called Babel. And so when we think about Pentecost, I think we have to bind together uh, Pentecost and what happens at Babel and see them in relationship to each other. And the other thing we have to see is both with Pentecost and Babel, is that it's not just about humans. It's actually about the entirety of creation. That's what the pattern that's laid down is. So we can think of this tale of two cities, Jerusalem and Babel, and that Pentecost takes part in a pattern of God's actions towards man, animals, plants, creation writ large. The whole thing is in view when we look at these two stories. Okay. So let's start by uh, thinking about what happens in Babel, and then we can come back to Pentecost and think about in relationship. Uh, Babel, so what happens there? Uh, Ham's descendants spread out. There's good reason to think that Babel's probably not talking about all people on the face of the earth, but they're probably conceptualizing just Ham's descendants who are outlined in chapter 10. Um, th- they're the ones who move east into the plains of Shinar, according to chapter 10. They're the ones who... Uh, are, are going to be settled into these various lands that we'll talk about in a second. But this group of Ham's descendants, at the very least, moves into the plains of Shinar. They move into this area of Mesopotamia between these two great rivers where water is abundant. And they say, hey, let's let's hunker down here. Let's build a city. Uh, let's build a tower that reaches into the skies. Right, And don't get too distracted by the tower because it's kind of like a shiny object in the story. Um, But it's actually not the center of the story, even though we're used to thinking about the Tower of Babel as the thing. Actually, it's the city. And probably surrounding the city, the agriculture that would have gone along with the city, uh, is probably what's in view of the biblical audience here. Uh, So they want to hunker down. They want to secure their own food source. Water is readily provided by these massive rivers, the Tigris and Euphrates. All you have to do is divert water and then you can grow anything year in, year out. Um, In fact, control of the canal system in Mesopotamia going back into the Bronze Age determined uh, political offices. Whoever had control of the canals controlled the world as it was. So um, when we think of of Babel, I know we get caught up in this kind of almost a mythological fantasy of a tower that's meant to reach up into the heavens. But realistically, for an ancient Israelite, when they hear this story, they're going to hear about people who are hunkering down and trying to secure physical safety with with walls, a walled city, and to secure uh, a source of food uh, right off a well-regulated river, which they don't have in the land of Israel, by the way. Okay, what's wrong with that? Why is that a punishable offense if you want to see God's actions as punishable here? Well, it's because there's this bigger pattern that we see throughout all of Scripture. Obviously, it hasn't quite happened yet uh, more than once. Uh, But the pattern is this, God plants and then with the intention of expanding from that point. And so he says it in Genesis 1, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, right? And take uh, some possession and reign over it, right? Or subdue it or have dominion, however you want to translate the word. But to take care of creation, to tend to it, to shepherd it, to keep it uh, as the word that's going to be used in the Garden of Eden. But notice it's not the whole earth that the humans are put in. It's actually that God creates one place. He plants the couple in this one place. And it almost seems as if Eden is supposed to grow and and extend out into the world. And so that the world is eventually going to become Edenic or Eden-like. So that's one part of the pattern. He does the same thing with the people of Israel. So when uh, God is... Bringing the people of Israel up out of Egypt, now free from the house of slavery to Pharaoh, um, he He has already given this promise of land. Now most people mistake this. they think of the promised land as the land that it, we call basically Israel and the Palestinian territories and a little bit of Jordan uh today, and maybe bits of uh, Egypt as well. but that's not the promised land the The promised land is everything from the river in Egypt to the river Euphrates, uh, and seemingly, and all the way north up into the land of Turkey, what would be modern day Turkey, Kurdistan, um, and all the way south down into Egypt. The promised land is what Abram, Isaac, and Jacob would have called the known world. It's what we would call today the entire fertile crescent. Uh, it's it's essentially the the borders of the world for these people that 's what the promised Land is, and it 's stated and restated over and over again that 's why we call it the Promised Land because it keeps on getting promised to Abraham then Isaac, then Jacob, then the people of Israel but notice god doesn't when he brings them out of Egypt he doesn't scatter them across the promised Land. What does he do? He plants them in Canaan, what we now call uh, Israel and the Palestinian territories. With the view that they will then expand out and that they will bring with them this sense of justice that the torah requires a sense of peace a sense of creation care which we can come back to in a second that they're going to take care of the land they're going to care for the animals they're going to care for the plants they're going to care for the stranger the widow the orphan the vulnerable people the elderly and they're going to expand this sense of god's justice and holiness into the breath of the Fertile Crescent, the Promised Land. We get the same pattern in the New Testament. Jesus uh, begins his ministry in Galilee, brings it down into Judea, eventually Jerusalem. He plants his disciples there in Jerusalem and he dies and resurrected. He teaches them again, but yet plants them again in Jerusalem so that when the Holy Spirit comes, they will uh, be spread out across uh, the earth as one of my seminary professors said so eloquently, like, like burning embers scattered into a dry forest floor. <clears throat> Sorry, I just keep hitting this microphone here. So this plant and expand, plant and expand. In Genesis 1, before anything has gone wrong, it's just expand, spread out into the land, take dominion. <clears throat> or maybe you could say it's plant and Eden and spread out. When God exiles the couple and and there's people who expand out from Cain and uh, from Shem. And then later after Noah, people expand out and they head east. So it's Ham's descendants who head east into the plains of Shinar. And the problem here seems to be that they hunker down, that they want to secure their own safety. They want to secure their own food. Uh, Of course, in the very next chapter, we're going to get Abraham, who God is going to (coughs) secure his covenant with for the sake of protecting Abraham, for making him prosperous, which basically means food. Uh, You'll always have food and and enough wealth. Um, And that he's going to do this for the sake of the nations, in order to spread this out to the other people. So it's never for Abraham, it's to Abraham for the sake of the nations, for all the families of the earth. So we see this plant and expand. But then we have this one dramatic story of Ham's descendants who go east and they stop and they hunker down. And so what does God do? God has to come down, this kind of little bit of irony in the story, to see what these people are doing, right? Notice in the story of Babel, we didn't read it, but if you go back to the story of Babel, it's a very short, compact narrative. What happens in that story? They say, come, let us build a city with a tower into the skies, into the heavens, lest we be dispersed, lest we be scattered, lest we have to go out and fill, right? The earth, right? So that's their concern is lest we be scattered. That's their stated concern. Of course, they wanted to make a name for themselves by building this tower. And of course, here we are today talking about them in 2020. So bravo, they made a name for themselves. Good good on them. But their concern is lest we be dispersed. What does God do? He has to come down to see what they're doing. When he sees what they're doing, He's dismayed that they they basically worked for themselves and they haven't worked for his plan, his mission. So what does he do? It's stated twice at the end of the story. I know we get really distracted with the tower, but what's emphasized in the story is lest we disperse. And at the end, and so Yahweh dispersed the people. And again, in verse nine, and so Yahweh dispersed the people. It's repeated. It's the only thing that's repeated in this story. They don't want to be dispersed. Yahweh sees it as necessary that to be dispersed. You could almost read the story, in fact, I would prefer it this way, but maybe some people wouldn't. I would read the story of saying what created the languages was not a supernatural act of changing the languages in their brains, their minds, their tongues, their muscles. But rather, um, if you read the story from chapter 10 coming forward, what seems uh, to be going on, or I think it's a reasonable interpretation, is what changes their language is that God scattered them. That That they are different tribes, clans, people now in different lands, and that actually creates different languages, which current research on uh, linguistics would support that 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 actually would make sense. Okay. So that's one story. We come to this other story um, in Acts 2, where Jesus has... um, uh, ascended in the heavens, planting his disciples, saying, stay here in Jerusalem until I send power from on high. It's in the Gospel of John. He keeps telling them, don't worry, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send uh, this comforter. He is going to empower you, right? Stay here until that that comforter, that uh, power from on high comes, and then I'm going to send you out. I'm planting you, and now I'm going to send you out to uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of of the earth. And so when we get to the story of the Holy Spirit coming, you can't miss what the author of Acts is trying to throw in your face. He's trying to slap you across the face and say, "Do you not see this is in some ways a critique of Babel?" Going back to the very beginning uh, of the story of Israel, right before the call of Abraham for the sake of all the families of the earth. What happens here in Pentecost that's so terribly exciting? Well, a couple of things. There's a list of of Jews that are gathered from all over the ancient world. It just so happens, because I've done the work here, if you map out Ham's descendants in Genesis 10, where they end up on a map in the ancient Near East, and you take the map of all those Jews who are gathered into Jerusalem uh, for the Feast of the Pentecost, uh, those maps line up really well. Uh, So, geographically, there's really good reasons to think that Luke is already tipping you off. Yeah, I'm kind of doing a Babel. I'm, I'm doing a, a retelling of the Babel story. Uh, I'm emphasizing the Babel-like elements in order that you'll see what's going on here. Um, what else happens? Well, just like in Babel, you have God coming down. Why does God have to come down in Babel? It's because people have ignored his mission. He gave them one mission. You, know, you had one job, people of the earth. Uh, and you didn't do that one thing so god has to come down to force them into his mission to spread out to uh, fill the earth and here in acts 2 rather you have god planting his people here and telling them to wait and he's going to come down again to enable their mission and this time it's not the scattering that creates languages it's god's coming down in person and landing on the disciples that then enables them to speak in languages. As Galilean fishermen, there, you know, the perplexity of of all these Jews who gathered together is, how are these Galileans? How do they understand and speak in our language? How is it that we're hearing them speak in our language? This doesn't make any sense. And so God is using languages. Now, think about that for a second. Why languages? Why known languages? Right? I mean, there's. We often say uh, speaking in tongues uh, as a phrase that comes out of the new testament but really it, it literally would mean i mean literalistically the way we could translate it is speaking in languages that's how we would speak of it today you know that's not my native tongue that's not my native language it's, it's, it's as interchangeable so why languages why um, supernaturally enabled languages at this time well The goal is to spread out, to take this news, to take the justice, to take the kingdom, to take all those Torah principles that have now been packaged up in the empire of God that Jesus has declared has come and is coming, and to take that out to all the families of the earth, to all the nations of the earth. And so it's not shocking then that uh, the foretaste of that, one of the things that is meant to signal this is really happening from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth is that the languages that would allow you to take those out are happening right now and you didn't create it, right? It's not through securing your own wealth, your own power, your own safety, your own food. It's not through securing anything on your own. It's by receiving entirely what you need that enables you to take this out to the ends of the earth. You and I are recipients of Pentecost. We can co-celebrate if, uh, if you're like me, a Gentile, but even if you're uh, Jewish uh, by birth or marriage, um, I think we're still pr- uh, participants and recipients of what happened there at Pentecost. It was the game changer. It was the thing that flips the disciples' minds over. Not enough. It still has to be flipped over more, but flips over so that they see that what has happened here is just the planting that needs to expand into the the earth. If you think about what went wrong with Israel, if you read the Torah, you realize if, if the Torah was practiced well in Israel, if people actually like listen to the guidance, if they became wise and discerning according to what the Torah was trying to teach them, all those what we consider rules that you don't want to break, if you actually took them as wisdom for people of Israel, which uh, Ryan O'Dowd has written quite a bit on, I think you and I would probably want to live in that society. It'd be a place where uh, justice would be supreme. It'd be a place where uh, those who are vulnerable are always first in our minds when we do anything. It'd be a place where animals are treated fairly, I mean, think about the Torah laws is that you can't wield an axe against a tree because a tree is not a human that it's done anything against you. That's part of the Torah, right? Um, an animal, you can't muzzle an ox. If you see your enemy's ox, forget about whether he's your enemy, whether you don't feel like helping him, but for the sake of the animal, you're to help that animal uh, from its burden, right? Um, you have to treat trees, animals. God makes covenants with animals in uh, the, the the Noahic covenant, Um, God puts animals and and humans in league with each other. They're both made out of the dirt and have the breath of life in them from the Garden of Eden. We're all connected together, right? And if if the Torah were lived out wisely, it actually would be a pretty good society that we would want to expand out into the rest of the world. We would want to join into that world that God had created through Israel. But they fail on some cardinal fronts. And so here we are again, sitting with another group of doofuses. If you've come out of reading the Gospels, you realize these men are not up to the job. They're not altogether great guys. They clearly do not understand most of what Jesus has said or done. They're struggling to understand, even up to the point uh, that Jesus ascends into the heavens. And so God has chose this ragtag group of people to plant and expand. And here we are as the grand recipients of it. I want to encourage us this morning. When we think of Pentecost, I think we can think of it very individualistically. We can think of it very um, spiritually, that it was God enabling people to have this new language. But I think when it's fit or it's nestled into the pattern of scripture, it tells a slightly different story. It says, this is God expanding his empire into the entire earth, for the sake of all the families of the earth, for justice, um, for care for the vulnerable, for care for the plants and the animals and everything that happens around us. It is about creation as a whole. It's not just about saving individual human souls, which is a later heresy called Gnosticism. And so I think that this is a Uh, both a a point that we can be uh, joyous. It was a feast. It was a celebration in which Pentecost happens. And now we have new reasons to celebrate because us, the earth, the families of the earth have now received this good news. The Holy Spirit is in us. The Holy Spirit wasn't just for those Jewish men. It was for all of us and that we're all now part of the empire. But being a member of the empire comes with obligations too. We can't be hoarders. We are also part of the people who bring this out into the earth, that expand justice in the earth. This week has been a particularly difficult week for an American dealing with issues of justice. And so I don't, it's been difficult to even watch the news or even to listen to analysis. It's been difficult to even talk about some of the things that we've seen on television or on the internet about injustices that are done, plain injustices, ones that don't even need to be interpreted. Everybody looks at them and says, that's just wrong. And what we see there is what Pentecost is trying to address, is that God is not just spreading good news that's meant to save men's souls. God is spreading a community that's meant to bring justice and spread out that justice and that peace and that care for the earth and for the vulnerable and for each other out into the world. That's the moral imagination that scripture wants us to inhabit and from which scripture wants us to go out and create justice, to advocate for justice, to be an agent in our communities for. Pray with me. Father on high, we thank you that you did not sit in the heavens and leave us mired in our sin, but you came down. You came down through your Holy Spirit You came down through your son, being formed in the form form of a servant. You did not leave us alone as our wretched selves, but you came down. Father, help us not to be simple and ungrateful recipients, but that we might take the obligation to bring justice into this world, knowing that it is spirit enabled and we are enabled and empowered just as those Galilean fishermen were spirit enabled with new languages, we can be spirit enabled to bring your justice and your care into this earth. Teach this church how they can do that, particularly here in Ithaca. And we give you thanks for all of these absurd things, petty and grand, that we ask of you. Amen. Thank you very much.